And now we take great pleasure in presenting to you the star of our program, Miss Kate Smith. Hello, everybody. It is my happy privilege to introduce a new song, God Bless America. God bless America. God bless America. Dare we sing this song today while harboring any expectation that God, the holy God of the Bible, would bestow upon us his truest blessing? Why would we choose to gaslight ourselves in such a way? But it seems that we do. Today, the average American has no real sense of history or national pride. The younger generation has no respect for the achievements of our forefathers. They're tearing down statues and rewriting history. And most certainly, they offer no deference to the things of God. We have manufactured a constitutional concept establishing a separation between the church and the state. In our elected leaders' minds, God has no right to interfere in, in the affairs of the state. But the state has every right to critique and enter into the affairs within the church. They evidenced this in 1962 and 1963, by ruling God out of the public square. This was done by Earl Warren, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court in Ingle v. Bittang, 370 U.S. 421, and he issued his opinion, which now has become accepted as law. God bless America. You congressmen say this, and you presidents give your states of the union addresses. And you like to close it out by saying, and God bless these United States of America. Look around you. Please read and follow what is going on. Men and women, look and listen. See what people are doing and voting for in Washington, D.C., and in our governor's state houses as well. These arrogant, highly educated, intelligent people have willfully rejected God and stand filled with a conceit that God will not tolerate. Do not be fooled. God will not bless this. He will not be mocked. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork of human freedom. Our inalienable rights are given to us by God. Sorry, boys. God's blessing ain't coming. His hand has been removed and his eyes have turned away. You can say what you will, but God blessing America is not going to happen. He will not hear your prayers. Why? What have you done? What have we done? What has happened to Christianity in America? Not religion. We have lots of religion. We have many, many people who believe many, many different things. But what has happened to biblical Christianity in the United States of America? This is my question. And this will be a topic that we will consider in this podcast, Controlling the Narrative, Faith of Our Fathers. My name is Frank Goss. And I want to thank you for following along with us in our Controlling the Narrative podcast. We hope the information we provide is beneficial to you. And again, thank you very much for listening.
as we look back and consider the history of the United States of America, we see that the original settlers here came out of a time when kings and queens controlled thought and life principles. When they arrived, they were free from governmental regulations. And over time, these few faithful people created something new, something the world had never seen before, true religious freedom. They opened the door to enormous diversity in religious expression. These few faithful souls established a foundation on which others would build. These men held a faith that set the standard in the new world. Not just any faith, and most certainly not a synchristic diversity of faiths. Their faith was the Christian faith. They worshipped Jesus Christ and thanked God for a marvelous grace that provided eternal salvation. A salvation no man could earn or deserve. These men possessed a hope that no man could diminish. Though they tried with the fires of persecution, the chains of slavery, and the bars of prison. They held a faith monarchs could not control or understand. It was a faith practiced by the common man who trusted a mighty God, the mighty God of Scripture, and the common man who practiced the precepts found in the Bible as they saw fit. This was the faith of our fathers, and it was a holy faith. Men from Western Europe came to the New World in waves. The first wave of Christian men came led by Christopher Columbus, and began earnestly to colonize the New World on behalf of Spain for the glory of God. In 1513, they landed in Florida, and soon Catholic missionaries could be found working in areas that would become part of the United States. In the second wave, Anglican colonists from England established the Jamestown Colony in 1607 for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. The Jamestown settlement was the first English settlement established in the New World. The third wave was historically known as separatists from Britain, France, and Ireland who were persecuted for breaking away from the established Church of England. Their seagoing vessels landed at Plymouth Rock, and here these men settled to begin a whole new ex experiment in self-government in 1620. They spelled out their goals in a document entitled the Mayflower Compact. These settlers were coming to the New World to find a safe harbor, initially in North Virginia. However, they were blown off course and landed in Massachusetts near Cape Cod. They were outside of Virginia's jurisdiction, so there was no established law. Generally, the lack of law tends to lead to chaos. So the leaders came together to create the Mayflower Compact, whereby they agreed to a functional social structure that would bind them all in agreement and this compact prevailed. This document, written by a separatist pastor named William Brewster, created laws for Mayflower pilgrims and non-pilgrims alike for the good of the new colony. And it was a very short document which established that colonists would remain loyal to the King James despite their need for self-government. The colonists would create and enact laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices for the colony's good, and they would abide by these laws. The colonists would create one society and work together to further that society. The colonists would live in accordance with the Christian faith. One now famous colonist who signed the Mayflower Compact was Miles Standish. 
He was an English military officer hired by the Pilgrims to accompany them to the New World in order to serve as a military leader for the colony. Standish played an essential role in enforcing the new laws and protecting colonists against unfriendly, unfriendly Native Americans. The Mayflower, Con the Mayflower Contact was vital because it was the first document to establish self-government in the New World. It was simple and it was concise and it remained active for 71 years until 1691 when Plymouth Colony became part of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. It was an early successful attempt at democracy, and it undoubtedly played a role in the future colonists seeking permanent independence from British rule and shaping the nation that eventually became known as the United States of America. It is noted that in the first sentence penned, God was invoked and cited and recognized, and recognition is given to the grace of God that allowed the voyage to be taken. Further, it was mentioned that this work was undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. The compact consisted of three paragraphs, was presented and consented to by the leaders, and was signed at Cape Cod on November 11, 1620. There were 102 passengers that sailed from England. They passed over 3,000 miles of open ocean, in cramped, small vessels. Three pregnant women and more than a dozen children were packed onto the ship, and they resided, for the most part, below deck. It was cold and damp. There were no bathroom facilities to speak of. It was crowded, and the people suffered seasickness and were fed small rations of hardtack bread, dried meats, and beer. The smell was horrible. Combined with all the other elements, this made for a miserable, miserable voyage. The Mayflower was not a passenger ship, nothing that we would consider seaworthy today. It was a cargo vessel meant to haul lumber, spices, fish, and wine. It was a trade ship. The boat's design was for short trips along the European coastline for trading purposes, not for passengers. It was not built to handle the strong winds of the North Atlantic. With the smell, with the small rations of food, the meager meals, the stench and the sickness, the trip was painfully slow, taking over two months. This particular voyage to America was not taken as an escape from religious persecution, as many people think. The persecution experienced in England came under Queen Mary, not Queen Mary of Scots, but Queen Mary, Henry VIII's daughter. This Queen Mary slaughtered many of her fellow countrymen simply because they were Protestant. During this period, many of the Protestants withdrew from identifying with the Roman Catholic Church and held tightly to the doctrinal positions put forth by Jean Calvin of France. A community of Protestant believers organized and held clandestine services that were not allowed under the rule of Queen Mary. This group was a religious nonconformist Calvinist dissenting group who stood in opposition to the authority of the Anglican Church. They sought a more democratic and direct religious experience. Initially, Amsterdam offered a great appeal to the congregation, allowing them to worship as they liked. However, the atmosphere in Amsterdam proved to be too chaotic. Theological disputes arose among the separatists with scandals also. Many from the Scroby congregation, which was around 100 people, decided to leave Amsterdam and relocate to Leiden, which was located 25 miles to the southwest. A large city at that time of 40,000, Leiden was home to a major university. The congregation was not noted for its wealth, but was recognized as a commoner group 
made up of craftsmen, carpenters, soldiers, teachers, pipe makers, and hat makers. They posed no threat to the people of Leyden and were welcomed into society. The University of Leyden proved to be an ally, allowing Scobie Congregation to use one of its chapels. Some of these pilgrims enrolled and attended lectures in theology, medicine, and other subjects. Time passed, and the congregation decided to relocate again after ten years. The economic conditions could have been better if few from England were willing to join them. The culture in Leyden was similar to most university towns, with diverse ideas being discussed and taught and free-spirited young men exercising their liberty. This, along with all the excesses found in a metropolitan area, was proving to be a bad influence on the children of the separatists. Secular readers may judge the separatist assessments as strident and draconian. So be it. The separatists were sincere in their endeavors and held their faith as the preeminent guide in life. They had a standard they chose to uphold, which others rejected. So be it. They refused to bow the knee to the habits and the longings of a secular society. In government, it's all about consent. No man is created to be ruled by another man. In England, this was not the case. You lived according to royal edict. In Leyden, you were allowed the freedom to choose. In passing, it would be beneficial to remember that Leyden's atmosphere serves as a forewarning of the excesses of freedom, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. By today's standard, Leyden was a controlled society with very few disturbances. By no means did it meet the level of decadence and immorality that we find in America in our day. However, by the standards of that time, it was too free, and its ideas were too far gone for the separatists. The secular nature of society was too strong, and was drawing their youth away from the things of God, and the economic struggles were proving to be demoralizing. Their children were being drawn away from the foundational principles that spurred the separatists on. These considerations brought the pilgrims to a time of decision. They relocated, looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, I have lived in two major college towns, and I found many from the campus to be insulting, offensive, deplorable, and extreme. And yes, these attitudes deeply affect the public as the professors influence the community and the students begin to reflect the new secular ideas they're being taught. My children were not immune to these temptations, nor were my wife or I. The subtle nature of sin is virtually unrecognizable at times. You don't realize that you're being captivated by it until the door closes behind you. Also, during this time in Leyden, there was a rumor of impending war with Spain, which was an influential Catholic nation. But let's take time here to paint a proper picture of the history of that day. The pilgrims did not discover America. They were not the first to establish an English-speaking society on American soil. Jamestown was established 13 years earlier, founded and funded by the Virginia Company of London, and named in honor of King James. It was located in the state of Virginia, which was named after the Queen. The English came to the New World in search of riches. This is a separate history to study, but it eventually coincides with the Pilgrims' pursuit. Spain established the first and the oldest colony in America, known as St. Augustine, in Florida. This was established in 1565. We can go back to Christopher Columbus, who landed on these shores as early as 1492. So be clear, as you consider the founding of America, 
with the founding of the United States. The founding fathers of the United States were not pilgrims who came over on the Mayflower. The United States was established 156 years after the landing of the Mayflower and 169 years after the establishment of Jamestown. The New World changed tremendously during intervening years between the Mayflower and the signing of the Constitution. What we're considering in our study in this podcast is the influence of Christianity in America and, of course, the United States. We can consider the Spanish influence. Again, when you do this, you're faced with ideas embraced by Christianity. Spain had come in with Christopher Columbus, who was a man of deep faith and held by an indomitable determination. Supported and financed by King Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain, Spain was the first to establish itself in the New World. Today, revisionists hate Christopher Columbus. The liberal Democrats want us to focus on his capture of natives and the use of slaves. In doing this, we need to ignore the fact that the Democrats historically and wholeheartedly embraced slavery in the United States, and their refusal to free the slaves resulted in the death of millions and the near destruction of this nation. Why would I listen to anything a liberal Democrat would have to say regarding the history of Christopher Columbus? I'm sorry, but you liberal Democrats do not have a leg to stand on. I'm sorry. Yet you seek to revise history in an effort to destroy America's heritage and denigrate our heroes. With the history that you've earned, you have little to contribute to the subject, and you're throwing mud on a pig and calling it dirty. And we can see that. The Marxist approach to history destroys all favorable antiquity supporting a nation and its heroes. Columbus has been venerated as a national hero for over 200 years. Today, he's depicted as a murderous villain worthy of death by the American Democrats. To understand history today, you have to dig deeper than previously because of the effort to obfuscate the truth. This has been monumental. Consider who is writing the article or providing the information that you read. Howard Zinn is a noted Marxist whose writings reveal his hatred for America. Vox has provided its opinion regarding Christopher Columbus, and Vox is notorious for its progressive political lean. Progressive ideology is built on Marxist Hegelian philosophical underpinning. The Guardian, a British journal, is considered to be a liberal publication promoting the socialist views of the nation. Most American historical outlets in America today are extremely progressive. Conservative outlets on history are rare, and you must look carefully if you're to find them. The Southern Poverty Law Center has become a beacon for determining who is a hate group in America and who is not. The Southern Poverty Law Center is noted for targeting Christian conservative organizations as hate mongers and extremists. If any organization is anti-homosexual, LGBTQ, ad infinitum, anti-socialist, anti-Marxist, or anti-liberal, they are earmarked as a hate group and are to be avoided. One of their main targets is Christian conservative. So realize that as you research Christian history in America, you will find many historians gaslighting the American public, a plethora of false flags, and any number of outright misrepresentation and lies regarding history, biography, science, doctrinal positions, personal conduct, and recordings of actual events. What I'm saying is this. 90% of what you read, hear, or see regarding Christianity 
or American history has been dramatically distorted and misrepresented. Essentially, it's a lie. To find the truth regarding history on any subject, you must dig more profoundly than the local library or Time magazine. We live in an age where the government tells you what to believe, and a large percentage of the public cooperates. Churches follow woke ideologies today to present themselves as relevant in a worldly, secular society. Pastors strut across the stage, slapping their chest and announcing that they are God Almighty. Seminaries are bowing to the concept of white supremacy and critical race theory because it's academic and it sounds intellectual. J.D. Greer, the past president of the largest Protestant organization in the world, tells his people that God only whispers about the sin of homosexuality, and so should we. All the while, the Marxist Democrats have co-opted the national educational complex from preschool to university-level training. As a nation, we accept the perversions as unavoidable social norms. We pay to watch movies promoting these perversions. We send our children to government indoctrinational centers and complain when they begin to react according to the principles that they're being taught. We show little concern and project the attitude that we can cope with these things. We can tolerate. We can stand up and maintain our convictions in the midst of the storm. We believe we're holding the line in a faithful manner as our churches are being vacated, our faith is being watered down, and the standards within the churches are being lowered to the lowest level. What you don't know is that the majority of the religious view in America, which was 90% Christian at one time, is now dominantly synchristic and that the youth of our day, the millennials, are substantially more likely than previous American generations to reject biblical principles in favor of more worldly spiritual perspectives and practices. Wicca, for an example, is one of the fastest growing religions in America, and Wicca is nothing more than paganism and witchcraft combined. While 63% of Americans profess themselves to be Christian, which is 210 million people, only 6%, or 3.5 million, truly hold to a biblical worldview. They believe the Bible is truly the Word of God and that Jesus Christ truly rose from the dead. 2% of those 18 to 29 years old possess a biblical worldview. We're not becoming a secular society. We are a secular society. We should not be surprised to see a dramatic drop in church attendance, spiritual principles being practiced, or biblical principles being honored and respected. And we say that, according to our historical understanding, the separatists were too strict and draconian. The pilgrims were excessive in their religious practice. These were the founders, the first to come to this land. These are the ones who stood through the trials and the struggles of persecution and imprisonment. They had a concept of freedom that they pursued, they fought for, they sacrificed and died to attain. They built this nation on the bedrock of true Christianity, and our nation has flourished. You're listening to Vintage Broadcasting, our new podcast, Controlling the Narrative, Faith of Our Fathers. In this podcast, we're asking the question, why is Christianity fading in America? As always, we hope this information has been beneficial to you and helps you understand the history that has brought us to where we find ourselves today. As always... Thank you very much for listening.